I'm excited about being here. Um, we met your pastor and his wife. Is this on? Not on? Did I turn it on? I always get mixed up on the O-F-F-O-N. I never can figure that out. Uh, can you hear me okay? All right, good. We met your pastor and his wife, um, I think it was what, in, in 2019, maybe? Or uh, uh, somewhere in there, or 18, I think. We were in, uh, uh, in North Carolina and at the pastor's rest, and we, uh, we got to meet them. And uh, I was, uh, I was, we were kind of in a blur at that time as well. We were transitioning in ministry, and, and it was a crazy time in our life. But, um, but your pastor's wife made a huge impact on my wife and uh, just a really, uh, uh, just a really sweet uh, uh, family. And I'm so thankful that the Lord allowed us to get to know them. And I'm looking forward to this week to get to know them better. And I'm excited. I walked in tonight and immediately the first thing I saw were all the kids. And, uh, and I started looking around at the young families, and I mean, you got a little baby over here, and I saw you four back there with your, with your songbooks up on the chair, singing like there was no tomorrow on the back of the chair. And it just took me right back to the days when uh, my dad and mom were starting a church in Colorado Springs, and uh, they started the church when I was two years old. And um, I remember my earliest memories were in church. I remember falling asleep in the church pew. Um, but one time, my mom and dad, um, because, you know, pastor's families, pastor's life can get crazy. So mom and dad had come to church in two vehicles. And I was the baby of the family. And somewhere, the, the preacher for the revival went long. And hopefully the preacher for this revival won't go long. But that preacher went long, and I fell asleep. I was like five years old, and I fell asleep under the chairs. And... Uh, we lived about 20 minutes from the church, and our family kind of had a little routine. I don't know if your family has an after-the-church routine, but we would always come home, and our routine was we would always eat cereal. Um, so for me, cereal is not a breakfast food. Cereal is a 9.30 at night food, and I'm talking about Captain Crunch. I'm talking about honeycombs. I'm talking about Lucky Charms. And listen, you don't ever eat all the Lucky Charms at once. You eat all the cardboard things out first, right? And you have to be careful about those little Klingons on the bottom of the spoon. You can't let those get in, and you got to take those out. But then when you get all the cardboards, this is Bible that I'm giving you tonight. You take all the cardboard out, then you get to eat all the marshmallows. Yeah, Somebody say amen right there. That's, yes. And so, uh, you know, cereal is not bran, and I don't even know what a grape nut is, but cereal is, cereal is frosted mini-wheats, and uh, Lucky Charms, and Captain Crunch, and Crunch Berries, oh man, and Cocoa Puffs, I love Cocoa Puffs. There used to be an old cereal, the little uh, chocolate cook, uh, the uh, chocolate chip cookies, I don't remember what that was called. I, they still make that. My wife doesn't let me go down the cereal aisle anymore because I literally, I buy, I buy every cereal that I can find. I love cereal, but it's a nighttime thing for me. But we always had a little tradition in our family. We would come home from church and we would eat cereal after church. And uh, so my parents got home and 
they're all talking, and my, I'm the baby of the family, and so there's, there's six kids, and so there were five there all eating cereal, and my dad, my dad said to my mom, hey, where's little Dean? And she said, I don't know where he is. And, and she, okay, so they just all kept eating cereal. And pretty soon my mom said, did he ride with you? And my dad said, no, he didn't ride with me. <laughs> did he ride with you? No, he didn't ride with me. And so they realized they left me at the church. And they flew back to the church. And thankfully, I was still asleep under the church pew. Had I woken up alone in the church building at night, church buildings are the scariest place on the, on the planet at night. I remember when I first became pastor, uh, uh, I went to the church and I thought, I'm going to go to church tonight and I'm going to pray all night. That's what I thought, you know, a good pastor needs to go to the church and on Saturday night and just pray all night long. So I went up to the church and I got up there about 8.30 and, and the kids were all tucked in bed and I got up to the church and I'm studying. I got at the altar and I'm praying and then I heard something. And I went back to praying and I heard something again. I thought, man, somebody, somebody's here. I wonder who's here. So I walked out and I, hello, and nobody answered back. And, uh, and then I hear something else and I'm hearing stuff popping and banging. I thought, ah, oh, it's just my imagination. I came back in, I'm at the altar, I'm praying, and I hear something else. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to just meet you at the house. <laughs> and <laughs> we can pray there. And so, and so I went back to the house and I, uh, I watched and prayed. Um, at my house where my wife could protect me. But anyway, but uh, uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit of background. I, my dad is, my dad started a church when I was two. My mom and dad uh, got saved uh, in Deer Lodge, Montana and uh, they, in 1965. And uh, while my mom and dad were in college studying for the ministry is when they had me and um uh, and then dad started a church and pastored that church 35 years. So I grew up in a pastor's home and uh, been in church all my life. And I want to say to all the kids, there is no greater place to be than in church and in God's will. And listen, you're not missing out on anything uh, in the world. I can promise you that. And I'm so grateful that God allowed me to grow up in a pastor's home. And then God called me to preach when I was younger. And uh, I surrendered to preach, and then uh, I met my wife right after uh, my senior year of college. Just before I graduated, I met my wife, and uh, we got married, and we've been married 25 years. And I've been a pastor for uh, about 17 of those years. And we have three beautiful girls, Deanna, Brianna, and Juliana. I don't know why we did that. We didn't plan that. It just happened. We had our first one. My wife wanted to name my oldest one after me. We didn't know if we were going to have a boy or a girl. So if it was a boy, obviously, she was going to name it after me. But then when she had a girl, uh, the feminine version of Dean would be Deanna, I guess. So she went with Deanna. And then two years later, we had another girl, and we thought, man, what are we going to name her? We could not figure out a name. My, my dad wanted me to name her Olivia. And no offense if your name is Olivia, but that was out. So we, you know, we didn't know what. And so a, one of our one of our uh, nurses in the hospital said, "Hey, I got to fill this out. You know, we need a name." And so, man, we're scrambling. And somebody made the suggestion, "What about Brianna?" I thought, man, that's a pretty name, Brianna. So we went with Brianna. Well, we had Deanna and Brianna. So when we had our third daughter, we couldn't have Deanna, Brianna, and Stephanie. <laughs> so we had to go with Juliana. And somebody said, well, what if you, what if you have a boy? Well, it's Santa Anna. That's what we're going to name him. So, uh, 
But we have, uh, we have three beautiful girls. Our oldest daughter got married um, in March of 2020, right when COVID was happening. It kind of just wrecked her whole uh, wedding ceremony, but they were still happily married. And um, they've been married and, and working there. Uh, Nathan, her husband, was on our staff when we came to, uh, to the church. And uh, after she graduated college, she came back home. They, they got to know each other and they got married. And so they've been married a little over uh, about a year and, and um, I don't know what it is, a year and six months or something like that. And so just found out that Deanna's going to have a baby. And, um, and then we just found out that they're moving to uh, another, uh, another ministry in, in uh, St. Louis. And so they're taking my grandbaby. I told my son-in-law, I said, son, you're taking my daughter. You're taking my first grandson. And because of that, you'll be taking my wife, too, because <laughs> she'll be in St. Louis the whole time. So uh, I'm not a happy guy. But anyway, I'm excited for what the Lord's doing. And, um, but we've, uh, we've just enjoyed uh, serving the Lord. I pastor in Fort Collins, Colorado. Been there for just a little over two years. And uh, just amazing what God is doing. We're in a very, uh, we're in a very affluent area, very liberal area. A um, lot of education there with the University of uh, Colorado State is there. And uh, we have, Colorado has just become a very liberal place. But one of the great things that we found is that people there uh, don't wonder if they're saved. They know they're lost. And uh, we're seeing a lot of people come to know Christ as Savior. So we're excited about that. And so tonight I want to bring a message out of the uh, Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And I want to say to... Uh, to all of you uh, tonight, as your pastor has already said, uh, thank you for being here on a Thursday night. Uh, I've I've told uh, I've I've told our church often that the heart of the church, really and truly, and this is not one of those things that uh, is meant to to create a division in the church. It's just to encourage you. But the heart of the church is going to be found. Uh, in special meetings, revival meetings, uh, the folks who make the sacrifice, you've got children, you had every reason tonight, you could have said, you know, I'm just going to stay in the recliner and we'll tune in online or something. And uh, yet you came, you're here, and uh, I'm so grateful that you are. And I want to tell you something, uh, the Lord notices that. And uh, when God's people uh, care, and I know, you know, I'm so grateful for live streaming because there are people in our church uh, who can't come uh, like they used to come. Maybe they can't drive at night and all kinds of things, but they can be a part of what's going on at the church, and I'm thankful for that. But the fact that you're here and you have your kids here, uh, there is something special about that, and I'm just grateful that uh, I have a part uh, tonight. So you don't want to miss tomorrow night. I'm going to bring a message so practical and yet so powerful in the life of the Christian uh, uh, it, is, it is something that is transforming in the home, is transforming in your day-to-day -day life, and it really is the essence of revival. Uh, and I want, you to, I want you to hear it tomorrow night. It's something that's not preached on often, uh, but I believe it'll be uh, something that should be, and it needs to be. And so I'll be preaching that, Lord willing, tomorrow night. But uh, look at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 tonight. This is an amazing passage of scripture, so I want you to follow along. Luke chapter 1, verse number 1, uh, the Bible says, For as much as I have taken in hand to set forth in order 
a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. <laughs> so Luke, Luke the doctor, took the pen in hand and said, I'm going to put in order the things that are most surely believed among us. And uh, what did he do? He wrote all about Jesus. What is most surely believed among us? That Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, that His death, His burial, His resurrection is the only way. He's the one that wrote in His Gospel in Luke that Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. These are the things that we surely believe. Now notice what He says, verse number 2, Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now this is Luke writing to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus's name in the Greek means lover of God. Uh, that's what Theophilus means. And so it might as well be writing to you because you love the Lord. And I love the Lord, so he's writing to us. He's, I'm writing this to you, O Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And where does he start? Verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they were both uh, were well stricken in years. I love how the Bible says stuff. You know, God didn't just say, and they were both old. He said, no, they were well stricken in years. Um, in other words, you know, to be stricken is to be hit. In other words, Zacharias and Elizabeth had just been beaten up by life. <laughs> you know, they're stooped over and they're limping around and their faces are wrinkled. I mean, that's when somebody gets older, they've just been beat by life. Uh, life is beating us every day. And when you get old, you're just well stricken in years. You have been through it all. Uh, you, you young people, listen, when you get behind somebody in Walmart and they're kind of hunched over and they're walking real slow and you're like, oh, why are you so old? You need to remember... You need to remember that there was a time that that guy who's all bent over shuffling through Walmart, that guy who used to, he, was, he had a body that could storm the beaches of Normandy or he went and fought in Korea or he fought in Vietnam and he laid in jungles and he could run and jump and throw hand grenades and shoot and he did all kinds of things. And one of these days, you're going to be doing that. And some kid's going to be behind you like, why are you so old? And they, they were well stricken in years. Life had beaten them up. And life has a tendency to do that, doesn't it? Look at verse number, look at verse number 8. And it came to pass that while he, Zecharias, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So that's what Zecharias' job was as a priest. He was to come into the temple. He would light the incense, which the way God had designed it in the Old Testament, incense was a beautiful smelling herb that burned and it was a sweet, the Bible described it as a sweet smelling savor and that went up over the veil into the Holy of Holies and it was a sweet smell to God. Incense was a picture of prayer. That when we pray, our, our prayers are incenses that go before the Lord. And God, God smells that. And your prayers 
are sweet-smelling things to God. Do you know that God loves to smell your prayers? He doesn't just hear your prayer. He smells your prayer. You know, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that God bottled up our prayers. And He takes those prayers and He opens them up and they fragrance heaven. It's in the book of Revelation. God, some of you, you're praying and you're praying with tears. God catches your prayers and your tears in bottles. He'll open them up and your prayers make heaven smell beautiful. And so that's what Zachariah's job was. He was to go into the temple and light the incense. And there was this beautiful fragrance in the presence of God. And while he was doing that, in verse 11, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Well, hey, who stands on the right side of the, of the throne of God? Who is the one that hears prayer and answers prayer? It's the Lord Jesus. And here's the angel of the Lord appears to him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall not he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb, and many of the children of Israel shall turn their heart uh, to, uh, to, shall turn to the Lord their God. Now watch verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now watch this. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to preach tonight for just a few minutes on when God sends revival. When God sends revival. This whole passage of Scripture is about God doing a work and He is about to revive the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is about to have something thrust upon it from God that is going to literally transform that nation forever. In these these next few chapters that Luke is going to write about, you're going to see some amazing things happen in the life of Israel. In a little town of Bethlehem, Jesus would be born. He would grow and, and he would become this great prophet and priest and Messiah. And he was going to preach and proclaim deliverance to the nation. He would be crucified. He would be buried. He'd be risen again. And through Israel, the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached throughout all the world, starting in Jerusalem and going around the world. God was about to do a work in Israel. Now, I want you to understand, when we talk about revival, that revival is not just a meeting. This church has been here 21 years. You're celebrating 21 years as a church, and I thank God for that. We could tell stories tonight. Uh, Former members could come back and talk about how they got saved here, how they encountered the Lord here. Their lives were changed here. What God did in their family, God, God did great things in their life in this place. And for 21 years, there have been wonderful things that have happened here. There have been some difficult things that have happened here. This church has gone through battles. This church has gone through some valleys. It's had mountaintops. It's had, it's had the valleys. It's had victories. It's had defeats. This church has had the same thing that every church has. It goes through all the cycles of life and the seasons of life, seasons of growing, seasons of depletion, seasons of gathering, seasons of sending. This church has been through it all 
12 for 21 years. But I want to tell you something. This is the Lord's church. And the Lord loves this church and He gave Himself for it. And God has a desire for this church, for Gateway Baptist Church in Clarksville, Tennessee, to experience the anointing of God and the fire of God and a revival in this church. And it's not just a meeting. We don't have revival just because we put it on the sign and say, hey, we're all going to gather together, sing some songs, have a preacher come in and preach, and we're going to have revival. Revival is not that. A revival can come during that. But revival is not that. Revival is not just an experience that we have. Let me tell you what revival is, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. True revival is when God sovereignly and powerfully moves from heaven into human history with the good news of salvation. Revival comes at a time of darkness when the remnant of God's people come under deep conviction of sin and they turn to true repentance and then those people return to biblical truth. They rediscover God's power They rediscover God's holiness. They rediscover God's truth. And then all of that spills out of those believers into the world around them, resulting in conversions of the lost. So revival is when God moves in at a time in a church, in the life of a believer. It can be individual. It can be within a church. It can be within a community. But God moves in in a way that awakens the people to who He is. And there is a, there is a resulting re- realization in the life of the believer that they are full of sin, that they've become lethargic and lazy, and they've allowed things in their life that offend God, and they get right with that, and they repent of that, and they rediscover that relationship and fellowship that they've had with the Lord in time past, and they rediscover the truth of God, they rediscover His holiness, they rediscover the power and the fullness of the Spirit of God, and the transformation happens in the lives of those people where there is an awakening in them of who God is again. And that spills out into the world around us and people get saved. And people say, wow, there was a revival there. Do you know that most revivals happen and nobody in that revival really understood that revival was happening? A lot of times revivals were happening in in, in seasons, even in this country. America was born during a great awakening. But let me tell you, it was not a time where everybody said, hey, we're in the middle of a revival. No, it 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 was something that God was doing and there was a brokenness. There was an awakening in the people's hearts to who God was. And it was years later, people were writing back saying, you know, I think we were in a great revival there. There was a great revival. And may God send revival here. I've been praying for this meeting that God would send revival in my heart, in your heart. That God would send a revival that these young people could experience God afresh and anew. I mean, to really experience who He is. And so I want to show you when revival comes. When does this come? Luke chapter 1 is one of the greatest passages of revival let me show you some things about when revival comes here are the principles of revival that you see in this passage scripture number one revival 
usually comes in very dark times. Look at verse 5. When Luke was going to write in order all the events that were taking place of what we believe, he starts those events off in the days of Herod. In verse 5 he says, now this all happened in the days of Herod. You say, well, what does that even mean? Well, let me tell you something. Herod was an immoral, violent, filthy, debauched Edomite. He was a son of Esau, a cousin to Israel, and, and he was a vicious, wicked, immoral man. I mean, Herod was violent. He, he claimed to be Jewish by religion. He claimed to be a Jew because he had relationship to Abraham. But he had this horrible, horrible way of expressing that. He murdered several of his family members to gain power. <laughs> he was a wicked man. If you, if you ever study the life of, of this Herod, you, you, would, you would be amazed. I mean, things that I would not even want to discuss here about this man. He was horribly wicked and he was the king. And let me tell you this. There are, there are Christians all over this country who are so perplexed and so worked up about the political climate in this country. And they are so confused about what is going on politically in this land. And they... It's fed into the church. Many Christians believe the church now is, the, is, the, is the, the avenue for political revolution, for political renewal. Let me tell you something. The church has never been a place for political renewal. The church, listen, the church is the conscience of the state. But the church, listen, the church has a whole different king. I was, I was in Iraq a few years ago. Our church uh, was starting a church in northern Iraq. and Man, I wish I had time to tell you that whole story. It's amazing how God did all of that. But, I mean, it was a Macedonia call thing. It was an amazing story. And so I flew into Erbil and drove up into the northern part of Iraq. And uh, I'm meeting there with about 90 believers, uh, many of them who had fled their countries of Iran and Turkey and Syria. They were political refugees. They had they'd fled. Many, I, I, met, I met people with their arms cut off because they had been saved and they had, had professed Christ and they had been tortured. And I met ladies whose husbands had been beheaded because they were Christians. And I mean, I mean, I'm looking at people who truly understood what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And I remember sitting at a table with a group of these, of these Christians and there was a, a missionary, Brother Raymond Dubu McHale from Lebanon. Uh, his dad was led to Christ by American missionaries in Beirut back in the 70s. And, and, uh, and Brother Raymond is now a pastor in Beirut and just a godly man and I was talking with Brother Raymond, and we were discussing all the politics. 
we were discussing, and I was, I was talking about uh, the struggle between America and Iraq and the Shiites and, and the Sunnis and all that was going on in Iran and all that region. We were, I mean, listen, where I was staying in my hotel, I could look out the window and 11 kilometers away, 11 kilometers away, I could see the lights of Mosul. This was in September of 2016. In Mosul, ISIS had Mosul. We were about to liberate that in October. And I was, I was there. I could see Mosul where ISIS was. I mean, listen, we were in a hotbed of craziness. And I'm talking about all of this stuff politically. And Raymond Abu Mikhail, who lives in that region of the world, is looking at me so perplexed. And, 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 and as I'm talking, I said, Brother Raymond, what do you think about this? And he said, uh, my dear brother, the kings of this world are all looking for their power and they're moving pieces around the globe. And yes, my brother, these kings seem to be terrorists, treacherous, powerful. But my brother... There is another king. (laughs) You have your eyes on the wrong kings. There is another king who is king of kings and lord of lords. Let me tell you, I'm just saying, uh, Herod was on the throne in these days, but God just said it in a passing way. It was during these days when Herod was doing all that he was doing, murdering and and cutting deals and stealing and, and flexing his political will and he was a violent filthy man doing whatever he wanted to do and while herod was doing that god said yeah and while in his days i'm about to do a great work and can i tell you something that in the days of trump and in the days of biden and the days of of political stuff in the world today jesus is still at work today and some of you don't believe that Some of you think that uh, we have to have all those pieces in order for God to do His work. Let me tell you something, friend. God needs nobody. And it's usually in those darkest times when God does His greatest work. You see, not only was it in the days of Herod, but these were days following 400 years of silence from heaven. For 400 years. Now you think about this. Put this in perspective historically. America is not even 250 years old yet. So if you think about 400 years, I mean, go back to the days of the Revolutionary War, George Washington and Ben Franklin, and how long ago was that? And we're, we're just a little over halfway to the 400-year mark that they have not heard from God. For 400 years, there hasn't been a prophet. For 400 years, there hasn't been a spoken word from heaven. Israel has been cut off. And in this time, they have been in bondage. They have been abused. They have been victimized. They have been dominated. They have been scattered abroad. And now Herod is on the throne. And in those darkest days, God is about to do a work. And it's amazing to me that in an era of spiritual darkness in an era of political violence and wickedness Israel had become so corrupt they corrupted the ways of God and watch this the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah look at verse 5 in the days of Herod the king of of Judah a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abai 
And here he is. Here's Zechariah. Now, who is Zechariah? You know what I love about this? His name means God remembers. God remembers. And in the middle of all this darkness, God had not forgotten his people. And God had a plan for them, and God had promises for them, and God had covenants with them, and God had not forgotten. And I want to tell you, listen to me, in the darkest of your times, when it gets dark, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you, and God is going to do his work. I love it. I love that God came in the dark to do a mighty, powerful work in Israel's life. So I want to say, number one, revival usually comes in the darkest of times. Number two, revival usually comes through the faithful remnant. Revival usually comes through the faithful remnant. Look at verse number five. It was Zechariah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless i mean here you have this old couple well stricken in years they've been serving god faithfully and god hasn't given them a child they've been keeping his law they've been faithfully following god obedient to the lord and zechariah and elizabeth are walking faithful with god and here they are in the middle of all this corruption Herod's on the throne. There's no voice from God. And Zechariah is still lighting the incense. He's still doing what God had told him to do hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He's still obeying the Lord. In the course of his life, here's this old couple faithfully serving God. Even when they weren't getting from God what they wanted. Don't you think they wanted a baby? And yet God hadn't given it to them. And yet they were still being faithful. Look over at chapter 2 very quickly. You don't, don't lose your place in chapter 1, but look at chapter 2 very quickly and look at verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. I mean, look at this. Here is, here is another man, another older man, serving the Lord faithfully in the house of God, waiting for God, waiting for the consolation of God, looking for His promises. In the middle of the darkness, he's still looking for light. And then look down at verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser, and she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about four score and four years. Listen, this lady had been a widow. She'd been married for seven years. Now she's been a widow for 84 years. But she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Here was a woman who had married a man, and in seven years after their marriage, he died. And she remained a widow for 84 years. But she went to the house of God, and she just gave herself to service. For 84 years, she's been fasting and praying and serving and helping. And Simeon is an old man waiting on God taking care of the temple, waiting on the consolation to come, looking for the Messiah. He's looking for light in dark times. Zechariah and Elizabeth, an old couple uh, who are broken because they have no children, and yet, in the spite of their burden, they're still serving God every day, faithfully serving the Lord. Look at this. You've got these widows and widowers and old people that are childless and all of that. And then you also see in, verse, in chapter 2, there's a young couple, Mary and Joseph. And they're young. 
And they've had this crazy thing that happened to them. She's going to have a baby, and not Joseph's. It's God's. Who's going to believe that? Joseph's thinking about divorcing her, and the angel says, no, don't divorce her. You need to marry her. And now here they are on this journey, a a young teenage couple away from home, out in a barn somewhere, about to have a baby. And you see that God highlights these few people, just, just Zecharias and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, young and old, broken and, and widowed and childless and burdened, but yet people who are looking for God in the middle of their troubles, they're staying faithful. And God said, I can use those people. I can use those people. I want to say to the older couples in this church, you stay faithful to God. In your old age, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tested. You're going to have physical issues. And and you're going to have things that you're going to go through. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 gives a great description of what happens to us as we get older. Our, Our hands begin to tremble. Our eyes go dim. Our teeth begin to get fewer and fewer. And and our our pillars, our our spine, and our legs begin to bow. and, And the ears begin to go dim. You can read it in Ecclesiastes 12. He gives a description about going into the old age as our bodies begin to fail us and listen uh, things that didn't bother you before now they're the, the grasshopper brings fear to you and, and and heights bring fear to you and and things that we didn't worry about before we worry about now and listen these are normal changes I, I saw my dad as a young pastor who was full of boldness he was a rodeo rider from Montana my dad was the most courageous man I've ever known in my life I mean he preached boldly he walked out by faith but I see my dad now he's 81 years old we we just buried my mother after 63 years of marriage. We buried her in February. And my dad's a widower now. And, and he's an 81 years old. And he's living on his own. And I see my dad frail. And I see my dad. Dad, dad called me on the way to the airport today. And he talked with me about some things that he's going through. And things that he's fearful of. And my heart broke for my dad. Because there, you know, there was a time when it seemed like he just had courage. And reckless abandon. And faith in God. And now the littlest things bother him. And that happens when you get older. But can I tell you something? To the older saints in this church, the Bible says this. David said, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God did not forget you. I told my dad this morning, I said, Dad, you are not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I just don't want to go in that house alone. I said, you're not in that house alone. I said, now, Dad, you listen. I said, when you pull up to that house at night in that car, you look over in that passenger seat and you say, Jesus, I'm going in the house. Would you go with me? I said, you say it right out loud. You say, Jesus, I'm going in the house. Now, you go with me. I said, when you get in the house, I said, you just tell Jesus. Now, Jesus, I'm going to go change my clothes and get ready for bed. And um, I'll, I'll talk to you while I'm doing that. Make yourself at home. I said, when you get up in the morning, you just say, good morning, Jesus. Thanks for watching over me tonight. I'm going to go make some coffee. I'd like you to join me. Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible. Would you sit down right here and tell me what it means and speak to my heart? I said, now you just talk to him. He's there. Don't you let the devil tell you that he's not. Don't let fear and doubt creep in. Hey, listen, Zacharias and Elizabeth had every reason to begin to doubt God, but they were faithful. 
Simeon and Anna had every reason to doubt God, but they were faithful. Mary and Joseph had every reason to doubt God, but they were faithful. Young and old, young and old, young and old, serving God. And God looked at those little six people and said, I think I can use them. You know, I think God could look right down here in Clarksville, Tennessee and see some faithful people here tonight. So I think I can use them. In dark times with faithful people. That's what God's going to do. God's going to use those kind of people today. Number three, revival comes to those who prepare their hearts. So revival usually comes in dark times. Revival usually comes to the remnant. And revival comes to people who have prepared their hearts. Look with me, if you will, in verse number In verse number 15, the Bible says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God said, listen, it's dark times. There's only a few faithful people in Israel. But God said, in these dark times and with those few people, I'm going to send somebody who's going to prepare hearts for the greatest revival the world has ever seen. But it's going to take some people with prepared hearts. Now, what is a prepared heart? First of all, first of all, a prepared heart is living righteous before the Lord. A prepared heart is living righteous before the Lord. Hey, you know what we need to pray tonight? Search me, O Lord. And try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me, O Lord. We need to be praying what David prayed in Psalm 51. Lord, purge me. Cleanse me. Make me clean. Can I tell you, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 that without holiness we shall not see the Lord. The Lord's not going to show up in an unholy place. There's going to have to be people who have prepared their heart to live righteously before God. I want to ask you a question today. Are you living right with the Lord? Is there there anything in your life tonight? Now, none of us are perfect. And and Christians Christians sin, but I want to tell you something about, listen very carefully, Christians sin. And I had somebody tell me one time, say, Pastor, you know, there's, it's not really the same thing when I sin and, and the sin that I commit and what, what unsaved people commit. It's not really the same thing. I said, no, you're right. It's worse. It's worse because you're a child of God. And I'll tell you something. When Christians sin, let me tell you this. True believers, when they sin, it grieves their heart. And the closer they get to the Lord, the more burdened they are over their sin. You know, it worries me when I see people in the church who, who don't have a brokenness over their own sin. And, and they say, well, you know, what I'm doing is not bad. And they, we, ju- we justify anything and everything. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John very clearly that if we say we have no sin, we, we call him a liar. And people who say, well, that's, that's not really a sin. Then what we're, we're, we're lying. We're saying God's lying when he said things are sinful. And, but people who get close to the Lord begin to be aware of their sin and they're broken over their sin. And let me tell you this, it's not the sinless that see the Lord, it's those who are dealing with their sin that see the Lord. And it's interesting how the Lord shows up to help sinners. Sinners who are seeking. Like the woman at the well, she wasn't perfect, but Jesus showed up to her because she was seeking the Lord. Now listen, 
righteous before God. A prepared heart is also one that is sanctified and spirit-filled. You'll see with John here, the Bible said of John that he was going to be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. He was going to be a man who was undefiled by the world. He was not going to touch strong drink or or wine or, or any of those things that perhaps could defile him. That he was going to be a sanctified, set apart. That was an old Nazarite vow. And there was going to be a setting apart of John that he belonged to the Lord. And listen, we've lost this idea that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And to live a sanctified life set apart for God and then filled with the Spirit. Oh, listen, I love this about John. That John was not controlled by the culture. When John came, he was not controlled by the culture. They were like, did you see this guy? He's dressed in camel's hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy is, this guy is, I mean, he is a wild man. And even Jesus said to the people, what did you come out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? I mean, what did you come out to see? Some trembling thing? No, John was bold. He wasn't a little weed shaking in the wind. No, he was as bold as a lion. And John was a spirit-filled man. And listen, spirit-filled people, spirit-filled people and separated people, God brings revival in their life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to them that ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here are spirit-filled Christians. What, what does God do? God comes to prepared people. P- prepared people are those who are living righteous before the Lord. They're living sanctified and spirit-filled lives. And then thirdly, there are people who are repenting of sins daily. Look at verse number 16 again. And, he, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. That's repentance. They're turning to the Lord their God. Israel had been walking for hundreds of years away from God. And now this one is going to begin to turn their heart back to the Lord. Preparing their heart to the Lord. Bringing them back to the Lord. Listen, I have people in our church today who've been saved for many, 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 many years. And they've been saved. And, and in their Christian life, they've grown to this place in their Christian life. But right now, they're kind of going this direction. They've been idle and complacent and lethargic, and they're kind of slipping from the Lord. And I've got people over here that just got saved, and, and they've not made all these great links in their, in their Christian life. They've not yet made great decisions, and they've, they're just baby Christians. But let me tell you something. They're tracking this way right here. And you know what? God's going to do more with a Christian who may not have it all together, but he's heading the right way, than a Christian who thinks they have it all together, but heading the wrong way. And this was an idea that John was going to be preaching and saying, look, Israel, stop wherever you are right now. You don't have to get it all together. Just turn around and start going to the Lord. Isn't that interesting about the prodigal son when he was coming to his father? He was preparing his speech about how he was not worthy and how he was, he was no longer worthy to be called a son. Just make me a servant. And before he could ever get the speech out, his dad hugged him. He, came, he was on his way home. Before he could even say anything, his dad embraced him. And then when he finally got the speech out, oh, dad, I'm not worthy to be. His father said, stop, let's go. We're having a party. Get the fatted calf. And listen, it wasn't in what he said. It was just the direction that he was going. He came to himself. He got up and he went home. 
And can I tell you that when people begin to seek the Lord and their hearts are turned to God, you don't have to have it all together, but just be heading to the right direction. The Lord will meet you. Draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Verse number 17, it says, And he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. A people who are prepared are people who are turned. Let me tell you this. Listen, true revival isn't just evidenced in the church. It's evidenced in the home. It fixes the relationship between fathers and children and children and fathers. It makes disobedient obedient. I mean real revival. You know, so much of our sin is self-willed and self-worship. And if we just step back and look at our sin and we turn to the Lord and we obey Him, listen, He cleanses all that. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In our world today, we're building everybody up. Even in churches today, we're building everybody up with a, with a really messed up psychology of self-love. Uh, but the Bible deals a death blow to self-love. The Bible says, listen, <laughs> uh, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, an adulterous pastor doesn't love Christ. He doesn't love the church. He doesn't love his family. He doesn't love that woman that he's sinning with. He loves himself. Uh, those in the church who are pursuing other things don't, don't love their family. They don't love the Lord. They don't love the church. They're in love with themselves. That's really what we're seeing today in our world, isn't it? Is a world in love with itself. And the Bible says in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. So John was going to call the people to return to the Lord. And when he did, when he did, and the people heard from heaven, there was going to be a humility that fell upon Israel. By the way, that's why that's why you see Jesus coming to the most humble of people, Mary and Joseph, born in the most humble way in a manger. Jesus growing up in the most humblest of homes, a carpenter's son. Because Israel needed to be humbled. It didn't need a king riding on a great steed. It didn't need some great political leader. It needed a savior. Humbled, meek, and lowly, who could look at them with power and say, you have sinned, and I have grace. And boy, those who saw that, their lives were forever changed. Let me tell you something tonight, Gateway. Listen to me. I believe what I'm preaching tonight with all my heart, that God is waking up His people in dark days. I believe that America had the opportunity for a great revival in our churches in, in, in 2001 after September 11th. We saw the churches fill up. We, 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 heard, we heard our congressional leaders standing and singing, God bless America. 
baseball stadiums were singing God Bless America. That kind of became the national anthem through those days, God Bless America. But then something happened. We began to, we began to get our eyes off the Lord and we began to think that the right political leaders could bring us to a national revival. We got our eyes off the Lord and now you look at what's happened from that day to this day. America is so confused. We are so disjointed and divided. We're a nation. We are a nation completely departed from truth. I mean, you can't speak truth today. Everybody has their own truth. You say, well, then, then is it hopeless? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> That's why I'm here tonight. I wouldn't go anywhere if I didn't think we could. Listen, I believe we can have revival. And I think that through this whole, this whole 2020 and COVID and God moving churches out and saying, hey, listen, we've taken all of this for granted. Do you really want to meet together? Do you really want to do my work? Do you really want to make a difference? Well, it's not going to be in the precinct and it's not going to be in the voting booth and it's not going to be in it. It's going to be when my people who are called by my name humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek from heaven and pray. Right? Then I will hear. And I'm just saying tonight, in the darkest times, with faithful remnants, (laughs) with people who have a prepared heart, God shows up and he does a mighty work. Hey, do you want God to do a work in your life? Do you want God to do a work in this church? I do. I'm praying for it. So tonight, let's, let's do this. Let's each of us just draw a circle around our, ourselves. Not, not our husband, not our wife, not our pastor, not somebody else. Just draw a circle around yourself and say, okay, God, inside this circle, Send revival. Inside this circle, give me a fresh renewal of who you are and what you can do and who I am. And God, cleanse me and use me. And he'll do it. He'll do it. Our Father, I pray tonight. I pray that you would speak to every heart. I pray that, I pray that from the youngest to the oldest, I pray that some of these children, Lord, would begin to seek your, your face and pray. I pray that they would experience in their days a true move of God in their home, in their life, in their church. And Lord, that it would spill from this church into the community and people would gather and get saved. Lord, you've done it before. We're praying for you to do it again. But Lord, you're going to need a prepared people. A prepared people. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we would prepare our hearts. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.